This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. That's a great prayer. It's an absolutely wonderful prayer. And that's a prayer I prayed for everybody who's here this morning, including myself. Because there's a little phrase in the Old Testament by one of the Bible's more famous characters, Jacob, um, who encountered the Lord one day. And when he got up in a dream, and one night in that dream when he encountered God, he got up the next morning and he said this statement. He said, surely God is in this place and I didn't know it. I wonder how many times God has been working in our lives And we just kind of blew right on through. Never recognized it. Weren't spiritually aware of it. God had a plan for our life. And we got up that morning and just kind of blew right on through that. And he was trying to get the message through to us. And and, uh, for whatever reason, we weren't ready to hear it or didn't put ourselves in the right place to hear it or didn't have the right frame of mind to hear it. Or worse yet, he revealed it to us and we said, no, thanks. I'd rather do my own deal. Um. To be sure, all of us in life have been in that place more times than we would care to recount. But I also am aware of this, that all of us to some degree this morning are spiritually aware or we wouldn't be here. We'd be somewhere else. The fact that we've chosen to come to church this morning Uh, at, at least means at some level we have said to God, would you speak into my life? Would you heighten my own sense of spiritual awareness so that when you have something you want to do in my life, that I don't just blow right on through it and miss it? And uh, that's what I prayed for you this morning. That's what I prayed for me. And I also shared with a team of people I was praying with before church because the subject, of the, ma- uh, the subject matter of the morning is struggle. And over the years as a pastor, I've learned that oftentimes what I speak about on Sunday, I get tested on somewhere around that, which led me to an interesting conclusion. It's why most of the pastors on television preach about prosperity because that's what they'd like to be tested with. But I'm aware that this morning, many of us struggle. Some really struggle. Some have had a tough week. But you're in the right place. I was sharing this, um, just greeting some people on the way in. A good friend of mine says, I love this place. And uh, I, sa- I said to him, you know, there are times when I feel like I could just live here. He goes, me too. I love what happens in my life when I'm here. Now, this is a guy that three or four years ago, if you had said to him, why don't you come and go to church with me, he would have looked at you like there was something seriously wrong with you. So what's the difference? Well, today he's spiritually aware. And uh, as we become spiritually aware, one thing is for sure, we're going to encounter struggle along the way. Because struggle is a part of the human existence. 
And most of us, if I said this morning, I'm going to speak on struggle, most of you would say, oh man, that's not exactly what I want to encounter in life. But I want to talk to you for, for a couple of minutes about the, the coin of struggle. Because it definitely has two sides. And the first side is the obvious side that we're all very aware of. And that is struggle makes us weary. I was praying through the prayer request this week. And I was noting that one person wrote on their prayer request, Pray for me, I am bone weary. Can you relate to that? Yeah. All of us have been at that point in life, maybe more than once. We're just bone weary. Well, it makes us weary and it tempts us to what? Quit. And to quit before we finish. Now, anything we quit before we finish will tell you that was not a happy experience, correct? Yeah. Because when we start something, we have every intention of finishing it because we recognize there's value in what we're about to do. But when we get weary in the middle of it and we quit and we walk away from it, it reminds us that we failed. And that's just not a great thought. But I want to take the coin of struggle and flip it over for just a minute. And I want you to see something else. Because all too often in life, we basically, if we were to take our prayers and lay them out before the Lord, they, and, and strip them of all the fancy language and everything else, it would, our prayers would go something like this. Lord, I'm awake this morning, and I would like to go through the whole day and not struggle, please, at anything. And actually, I would like to do that for all the rest of the days of my life, and I would like to die in my old age, happy and contented, and without any struggle. Yep, there you go. That, that's just it. That's normally what we ask for. And if there's anything that causes us to struggle, we pray that God would remove it. But take a look at this. Struggle has another side. Our sense of fulfillment is directly proportional to the amount of struggle we encounter along the way. Some of you are NBA fans and you're watching the NBA playoffs. And there was a game a couple series back when one of the teams won the game by almost 60 points, if I remember right. Now, there was not a whole lot of struggle on one side of the ball in that game, right? But the sense of fulfillment that you get when you win a game by 60 points is not the same as the sense of fulfillment you get when you win a game with a shot at the buzzer that, that, that enables you to win by one point. Now, well, in life, not just in sports, but anything else, the sense of fulfillment that we get is directly proportional to whatever struggle we've encountered along the way. That's true in your marriage. I went to Weekend to Remember not too long ago, and one of the quotes there was from Donald Trump, who's been married, well, okay, a bunch, all right? And when he was asked about his marriage, if he worked at marriage, he said, no. Why would I want to work at marriage? I work all day long. I want to find someone I can be married to and never have to work at it. Now you know why he's still looking. 
Because even though it kind of doesn't seem as romantic as I fell madly in love and I can't help myself ever since. (laughs) We all know that looks good on Hallmark, but it doesn't actually exist in life. It's possible to love someone and love someone deeply, but I can assure you of this. If you think you can marry someone that you never have struggles with, and if you think you can give birth to someone you never have struggles with, okay? So struggle's not all bad, okay? So let's take a look. In fact, we're going to take a look at struggle through the life of one of the Bible's more famous characters, and that's the character of Joseph. And so um, I'm going to subject you to a little bit of my very lousy art this morning. Most of you went to school and did connect the dots, right? So you're going to get to do that this morning. So take out your notes. and Are you ready? So here we go. And we're going to give you a number of words, and we're going to start with this little dot right here at the corner, and this represents the timeline of Joseph's life. And up here are all the positive things, and down here are all the negative things. So we'll consider this this morning from right here. We'll consider that the struggle zone, right? Because when life tends to give us more than we expect, we don't usually struggle and complain about that. It's when we think we're getting the short end of the stick. So at birth... Joseph was born into a wealthy family. Would that be, for most of us, a positive or a negative? What? Positive. But he was born into a wealthy family in a foreign country. Would that be a little struggle? So that's why I kind of have him started right here. Birth uh, is neutral. Okay? But if you go up here, he was the favorite son of his father. He had 10 brothers when he was born, and yet his dad loved him, never made him work, and he gave him special gifts and presents and privileges. Would we call that positive or negative? It's like Tevia, may the Lord smite me and may I never recover, right? Yeah, that's, that's what we like, all right? So, there you go. And yet, because of that, his brothers hated him. So if you're living in a home and you're the favorite son, that's a great thing. But if you've got ten brothers and they all hate you, it might take away a little bit from that joy. So there he is. He's basically at ground zero. But his brothers hated him so badly that one day they got mad and they sold him to a slave trader. Now, friends, that's about as low as you can get, don't you think? When you get sold to a slave trader. But it's worse than that. It wasn't just a local slave trader. He was sold to a slave trader that was going to haul Joseph to a foreign country uh, many hundreds of miles away from his home. So Joseph, uh, I'm sure, was scared. He's hit bottom, and uh, he goes up on the trading block, and he gets bought by a guy by the name of Potiphar, who happens to be a nobleman. He happens to be captain of the king's guard of the nation of Egypt. And so the home to which Joseph was taken as a slave was a beautiful home where nobility lived. And he certainly could have been uh, bought and put in worse conditions. So life's a little bit better for him. And Joseph works hard. And Potiphar begins to notice that whatever he puts under Joseph's care, it flourishes and it thrives. And he begins to promote him and promote him and promote him until finally 
he's made the chief manager of of Potiphar's entire household. So I don't know if there you got it. He's promoted. And so now he's running a very large household, actually a nobleman's household. So even as the chief manager, he's probably very well dressed. He's probably has a good reputation. He's probably well known. And so finally, although he's still a slave, he's, he's climbing back up to, to, to where life is good. But the, he has a slight problem with Mrs. Potiphar. Because Mrs. Potiphar notices that, this is the truth, the Bible says that Joseph was well built. Okay? So evidently, even under an Egyptian toga, or whatever they call those things, she could tell that he was well built, and handsome, and he was smart, and he was intelligent, and everything he put his hands to succeeded. And Mrs. Potiphar decided that she liked Joseph better than Potiphar. And the Bible says day after day, she hit on him. Well, it doesn't exactly use that term, but that's what it means. Okay? And finally, one day, she reaches out and she grabs him by the coat and says, come and sleep with me. And, and she threatens him. And Joseph knows what to do. He just gets out. And so then she makes up a story and, and tells her husband that Joseph came in and tried to rape her. And so Joseph is thrown in a foreign prison. Wow. How's he doing so far? Life's not all that good, is it? He's in prison and um, yet he recognizes there's a blessing of God because I don't think that Potiphar really believed Mrs. Potiphar. He just happened to be married to Mrs. Potiphar. Because if he really believed Mrs. Potiphar, Joseph would have been. But he was thrown in prison. And so what did he do in prison? Well, he started working hard. And eventually the warden noticed that, that Joseph was different from everybody else. And so he started giving Joseph responsibilities to lead the other prisoners. And eventually Joseph was promoted to where he was. He was the head manager of the prison. Now, you know, that warden had a great job because Joseph did all of his work and the warden got all the pay. But Joseph was okay. At least it, it beat staying in solitary confinement, for sure. And one day, a couple of those prisoners had a, had a dream and Joseph interpreted their dreams. And as he interpreted one of their dreams, the dream was that this guy who had been the butler for Pharaoh, who was the ruler of Egypt, the, the most powerful nation in the world, one day he, he had this dream and Joseph interpreted it and said, guess what, man, you're going to go back and you're going to serve Pharaoh. And it's going to happen very, very soon. It's going to happen within three days. And sure enough, it came to pass exactly like that. And Joseph said, on the way out the door, dude, remember me. Okay? I'm not here justly. And when you get in front of Pharaoh, would you please speak to him and say, hey, there was a guy in prison who was a great guy and he actually interpreted a dream for me and it came true and he doesn't deserve to be there. Would you please treat him with kindness and allow him to be delivered and freed? But guess what happened? He was forgotten. Not just one week or two weeks, but two years. He was forgotten. 
And then Pharaoh had a dream and the butler remembered. Oh yeah, there's a dude in prison who knows how to interpret those. Actually, it was God who gave him the ability to do that. Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and I, I can't tell you all the details right now, but Joseph was promoted to be second in command of the entire nation of Egypt, which was the most powerful country in the world at the time. Wow. Now, I have an observation to make. Up to this point, how much of Joseph's life did he spend in the struggle zone? Virtually the whole thing, right? Yeah. Now, he was, most Bible commentators believe that Joseph was about 35 to 40 by the time he got promoted by Pharaoh. So, friends, I want to talk to you today about Joseph. I want you to understand that this was a guy who was familiar with struggle. I I graphed his life because I wanted you to see the ups and downs because it's really easy to look at Joseph's life and think that the ups were up here and the downs were down here. No, in the first 35 years of his life, even the ups were down. Everybody on board with that? Yeah. So how did Joseph persevere? How did he get through this? Well, I believe that Joseph understood a principle that is delineated very, very well in our core Bible teaching this morning. It's in Galatians chapter 6. Take a look. Make no mistake about this. You can never make a fool out of God. Whatever you plant, that's what you're going to harvest. If you plant in the soil of your corrupt nature, you will harvest destruction. But if you plant in the soil of your spiritual nature, you will harvest everlasting life. And we cannot allow ourselves to get tired of living the right way. Certainly each of us will receive everlasting life at the proper time if we don't give up. I want to break that into four a little shorter segments, and let's take a look at that, and then we'll look at how it applied to Joseph's life, and then how it applies to us. So right away, let's take a look at the first part. Make no mistake about this. You can never make a fool out of God. Let's take that latter part of that. You can never make a fool out of God. I'm going to give you a very simple transliteration or, or paraphrase of what that means. It means that life will never turn out in a way that fools God. Now, there's great news in that. And the great news is, oftentimes as a pastor, I sit down with people who have encountered very serious and unexpected struggles in life. And one of the first things I can say to them and say to them with complete confidence is, listen, this day did not take God by surprise. God's not sitting on his throne in heaven going, oh, no, how could I have missed that? Because he knew it was coming. And he has a plan for how to turn that into good in your life. Because that's how God works. Life will never turn out in a way that fools God. Now, let's go back to the first statement that says, make no mistake about it. Why is that in there? Well, it's in there because you and I can easily be fooled. Very easily be fooled. Make no mistake about it means don't get fooled by how things sometimes appear. Does it always appear as if God's plan is working to perfection in your life? No. 
There's not a person who's been alive, who's ever walked with God, who's ever, who's ever uh, become spiritually aware, who's ever developed a personal faith that hasn't at times wanted to look up into the heavens and say, God, do you know what you're doing? Are you hearing me? Because I can tell you, if I was in charge of my life, it wouldn't be looking like this right now. Yeah. And yet, by the way, you think Joseph was ever tempted with that? Oh, I think he was. In fact, the application principle is this. And that is that Joseph was guided through life by an unwavering belief that God's plan for his life would eventually prevail. I want to challenge you with that. As you become spiritually aware and as you develop a faith in God, I I want you day after day after day and I want me day after day after day to call myself to that reality and to believe with all of my heart that no matter how it appears in life, that God's plan for my life will eventually prevail. And friends, if you and I ever let go of that belief, it's the equivalent to being in a ship that has no rudder. Because there's nothing to direct your life. At that point, you're going to grab a hold of the controls and you're going to start piloting your ship, but you can't see what's coming in the distance and you'll be like the captain of the Titanic. You'll think you're in great shape and you don't know that you're headed for tremendous disaster. That would be a great prayer for you to pray this week. God, give me an unwavering belief that no matter how life appears, that your plan will prevail in my life if I don't give up halfway through. Let's look at the second part of this. Whatever you plant is what you'll harvest. You've probably read that out of a different translation that says, what is it? Do not be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Do you realize we fool ourselves about that three different ways? Now, we would never... By the way, we all look at that and go, duh, right? Why would anyone question that? If I go to the store and I buy tomatoes and I, tomato seeds and I plant them, what do I expect to get? Tomatoes and lots of them, right? Exactly. And, and we do that over and over and over again in life. And we tell our children, you're going to what? Reap what you sow. All parents tell their kids that, right? Yeah. But there are three ways that we can be so easily fooled. And here's the first one. I can plant bad seed and reap a good harvest. Oh, come on. No one would believe that. That's not true. We do. Many of us were raised by parents who yelled and screamed at us. And we recognized that was bad seed. And then it produced a bad harvest in our life. And we have said, I'm never doing that. And what do we catch ourselves doing? Screaming at our kids, but expecting to reap a good harvest. Hmm. 
Or we plant the bad seeds of really poor financial decisions and then play the lottery and hope that we get bailed out. I'm speaking way too close to home, aren't I? You understand what I'm talking about? You can't imagine the number of ways in life in which we plant bad seed, but we hope to expect a good harvest. Hmm. Second way we get fooled by this is this. I can plant bad seed and then not reap the harvest. I heard a pastor say one time, you you ever heard the old thing about sowing your wild oats? Most young people sow their wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. But I can tell you that doesn't just quit with teenagers. Okay? We find ourselves doing that. And I'll tell you, if you just analyze the decisions of your life and the actions of your life based on these three things I'm going I'm to share with you this morning right here, you, you will you'll be amazed at how often your life runs counter to the old thing of you, you hope to reap what you sow. Here's the third one. I can reap a good harvest without planting any seeds. If you came to my house and I said, hey, let, come and let me show you my garden. And I took you to the backyard and here's all these beautiful raised uh, boxes for garden. It's all neatly tilled and all that kind of stuff. And it's all watered and everything else. And you go, okay, well, what would you plant in here? And I go, nothing. Well, it's not a garden. Oh, yeah, it's a garden. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get corn and tomatoes and beans and peas and lettuce. Well, dude, you didn't plant anything, right? You would be, that's what you would be asking me. And yet in life, I'm amazed at how many times we think, let's just take financially. I don't have to save. I don't have to live with discipline. I don't have to do any things, but I'm going to retire and enjoy life. I didn't plant, but I sure hope to harvest. Or with children. We correct them and try to keep them out of trouble, but we don't develop real life skills in them. We don't teach them relational skills, not only with their own peer group, but how to relate to people of other generations. We don't build into them many times even the basic life skills that they need. We send them out the door and we go, man, I hope my kid does well in life. Wow. Well, if you want to reap that harvest you got to be planting seeds of training of life skills all throughout their life. Now, I've just picked two areas. But friends, we could, put, we could put a lot of different things in that. So you know what God says? Don't be fooled. It's very important to look at what you're sowing every day. Joseph, how does this apply to Joseph's life? Take a look. Joseph intentionally planted Attitudes, activities, and actions he believed he would harvest later in life. You want to know how Joseph endured the struggle zone? How he endured the struggle zone was he kept planting seeds that he hoped he would harvest later on in life. And for the first 35 years, did it look like he was going to harvest much? Not really. But he kept planting Because he believed that whatever he planted, eventually he would reap. Let's take a look at the third section of this scripture. If you plant in the soil of your corrupt nature, you will harvest what? 
destruction. But if you plant in the soil of your spiritual nature, you will harvest what? Now, you friends, you would think that is a no-brainer, correct? Because if would I, I got destruction on one side, I got everlasting life on the other side. Now, any fool would take everlasting life and forget about destruction, but they are connected to something. And that is our human nature. And here's what I want you to see about our human nature. Our corrupt nature and our spiritual nature means we have two opposite natures within us that vie for the most, four most important things of our life. And here they are. They vie for our time, for our talents, for our treasure, and for our affections. And by the way, friends, wherever you invest those four, that is your life. That's my life. My time, my talents, my treasure, and my, and my affections. And both of these natures on the inside of us sort of scream at us, Come and plant in me. And planting in the soil of our corrupt nature is very, very natural. It's like floating downstream. Planting in the soil of our spiritual nature is much tougher. It's like swimming upstream. Which is why God warns us not to get tired. How did this work in Joseph's life? Well, here's here's the application principle. Joseph conquered the struggles in his life because he planted, intentionally planted in the soil of his spiritual nature instead of giving in to his corrupt nature. So many ways I could illustrate that to you out of Joseph's life. But I can tell you his responses along the way didn't fall into the category of, oh yeah, that's exactly how I would have responded because that's natural. No, Joseph had to live with discipline all along the way and he had to choose right behavior even though much within his corrupt physical nature screamed at him to take the shortcut. So what does God say here in the fourth section? We can't allow ourselves to get tired of living right. Certainly each of us will receive everlasting life at the proper time. And here's what I want you to underline. If we what? Don't give up. Underneath that, I just simply put the word tired. What do I mean by tired? Well, the danger in, in struggle is that we will get discouraged and quit before we finish. It, it is like swimming upstream. When you're swimming upstream and you quit swimming, what happens to you? You go downstream, right? Every time you take a break, you lose ground. In life, every time you and I decide it's too much struggle to continue to swim upstream and we just give in to whatever it is, we start floating downstream in a hurry. And yet, those are our two choices in life. Here's what God says. I will give you the strength to keep swimming upstream. So if we look to ourselves, we get tired and quit. But if we look to God, God infuses us with all the strength we need to keep swimming upstream. And that, friends, is the great struggle of life. It's to keep looking to God.
Joseph did. In fact, here's how it works. Joseph was able to persevere through his struggles because he refused to give in even though he was often tired. You know he had to be. Let me take four or five minutes and apply this to the great adventure that God has called us to as a church. And for those of you who are new to New Life today, we are in the middle of a 35-day spiritual journey called the Great Adventure, and we're walking our way through 35 days of prayer. And, and uh, Bob read to you this morning from the devotional from that prayer guide, and I hope it's been as challenging and in, as encouraging for you as it's been for me. But as we walk our way through the Great Adventure and really partner up with God and begin to pray that prayer, Lord, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will in this church and in this community? And as God begins to speak to us about that, there's just no doubt that we're going to encounter struggle. Because that's how this life works. Well, the first thing I want you to understand, remember what Joseph, he had an unwavering belief that God's plan for his life would eventually prevail. Well, as we walk our way through the great adventure, it's important for us to understand that God has a wonderful plan for new life. And as we continue to seek him, his will for this church will eventually prevail. Because that's how God works. The only question is, will I be part of that plan? If I give up halfway through in the struggles and exit that plan, the church goes on, God carries the church on, but somehow I get left behind. And and my prayer for all of us is that none of us would get left behind, that we would all be part of that plan. Second thing is this. God's plan is certainly going to require personal sacrifice. There's no such thing as a great plan that requires no personal sacrifice. Anything you do in life that has any sense of significance and fulfillment about it is going to require personal sacrifice and personal discipline. And in order to say yes to what it takes to succeed in that, you're going to have to say no to some other things. Isn't that true? Yeah, sure. That's how life works. The third thing is this. We will encounter struggles along the way. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But it's that struggle that will enable us to cheer with victory as God does through us what He plans to do through us and what He's planned to do all along. And as we persevere through that, that leads us to number four, and that is if we listen for And follow God's instructions. He will do through us more than we could ever imagine. That's God's promise to us. And as as your pastor, as your friend, that's what I want to challenge you to this morning. More than anything else, as you pray through the 35 days of prayer, I really pray that it won't be perfunctory for you. That it won't be the sort of thing where you pick it up and you just say, okay, I can check that off the list. Because at the end, if the pastor says, how many of you did the 35 days of prayer? I want to be able to put my hand in the air and and know that I did it. Okay? That's not nearly as important as actually connecting with God. And saying, God, I want you to reveal yourself to me. I really want you to show me with my time, with my talents, with my treasure... And with my affections, I want you to show me where to put those. 
so that I don't miss any of what you want to do in my life through the great adventure and so that new life doesn't miss any of what you want to do through me for the great adventure in this church. So we're going to give you three things to do this morning. The first one has to do with compass stickers. I happen to have one here. Now it used to be in my pocket, not now. As you've been working your way through the prayer guide, you have noticed the little compass um, um, icon throughout it. Uh, We're going to give you a prayer sticker this morning, and I'm going to ask you to put it someplace where at least twice a day it will remind you to pray. And why the compass sticker? Because if you're on an adventure and you don't consult your compass regularly, are you headed for trouble? Big time. Okay? It's the compass that gives you direction in life. And my friend, it is prayer that enables you to receive direction from God. So as, as you leave this morning, there are going to be people by each of the exits and they're going to be passing these out to you. Go put them at a place where at least twice a day it will remind you to seek your direction and your instruction from God. The second thing is this. This coming Friday night, we have a leadership event, which um, is going to be a wonderful time. There's a biblical principle that's found all throughout Scripture, and that is that when it comes to leading the way, the leaders go first. And it's the leaders who say to God, this is what I understand you want me to do with my time, what you want me to do with my talent, what you want me to do with my treasure, and what you want me to do with my affections. And so, God, this is what I'm doing in response to the instructions. And so this Friday night, there's about 150 or so of the people in the church that are going to be gathering together, and we're going to be asking them to make their commitments first. And to say, okay, God, this is what you've called me to do in my life. And I'm going to lead the way and I'm going to challenge your people to come and follow my lead. And so this is a very, very important week for the spiritual stewards, the financial stewards, the pastoral staff, for the key ministry leaders, for the key ministry volunteers. It's a very important week for them. I want all of us to pray for all of those people that God will do something great through us this Friday night. And then the third thing is this. Uh, We have a vision event, and if you haven't come, we've had two of them already. If you haven't come to either of the vision events, I want to ask you a gigantic favor. We have another one coming up tonight at 6 o'clock right here. It lasts about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes long. There's child care provided. And we're going to talk about what God has planned for the church in the future. And uh, it's a very exciting and compelling vision that God has given the church. It's been an amazing journey He's brought us on so far. And so if you haven't come to one of those, I want to encourage you to come tonight at 6 o'clock right here. And uh, for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, um, I'm sure in many ways you'll be amazed. Hopefully you'll be challenged and inspired because not only is the vision compelling for where God is calling us, but there's a piece of that vision that God is counting on each of us to step up to the plate about that. And we'll talk about that too. So those are the three things. Get your, get your compass stickers, pray for the leaders of the leadership event, and then come to the vision event. Now would you pray with me? Father, we are blessed. So blessed. 
that you actually care about us. That you have designed the church in such a way that it actually ministers to us so that the more we get spiritually aware and the more we tune into you and the more we connect with you and connect with your people, that this becomes a place that's our home that we love to come to. So Lord, would you work in us today? today? Would you work in us as we encounter struggle that we would intentionally plant the seeds that we know eventually you will enable us to harvest in life. God, especially when the going gets tough, would you remind us of that? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.